Hi, Hi everyone. everyone. I'm John. And I'm Georgia. And we're here inside your ears to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. This, this is, is Comfort, Comfort Films. Films. Hello everyone and welcome to Comfort Films Podcast. This is episode 28. Episode 28 and don't be late because we're going to be talking about Jesus Christ Superstar. Yes, it's Easter weekend and it's the fourth week of our kind of musical film discussions. Yeah. And so we thought, hey, let's pull out this one because... We love it. We watch it, like, every year. Absolutely. I'll watch it anytime. It's a little tradish in the Macy household. We like to break off a little rock opera, (laughs) you know? I mean, we do like a lot of rock operas, honestly. I mean, this one is a little bit different than... I I see, because I kind of think Streets of Fire is a little rock opera-y. It feels it. It It feels feels it. It's not quite there. Mm -hmm. This probably is more like a rock opera yeah but uh it's also like a filmed stage musical Mm -hmm. um and it started as a concept album which is so wild yeah it is crazy i mean i don't think i've ever heard of that otherwise but you know they wanted to do a, a stage musical and they couldn't get the money so they did this concept album with some pretty, you know, heavy hitters on there. <laughs> I mean, that's putting it lightly. Like, I mean, you have Ian Gillen from Deep Purple. Yeah. Right? That's a heavy rep. Yeah. Like, totally. Then you got Murray Head. Yeah. Coming in Judas. strong. Yeah. Although he's not my favorite Judas, which makes me, you know, persona non grata in certain circles. Look, it's it's okay. It's I think where the Murray Head Judas versus the Carl Anderson Judas comes into play is all of us listen to this concept album so much that we could do it backwards and forwards with our eyes shut. I remember going out on lunch breaks with people and we would just put the show on and we would go as far as we could. That's so funny to me. Like, because I did not have that experience at all. Okay. And, you know, maybe that is why it's different. But, you know, the funny thing is, so just before we really dig in, Mm. I wanted to say to people who may not be Christian, um, it's okay. You know, definitely. (laughs) We actually are going to try to keep this a non, like a non-religious, more secular discussion of the musical itself. But a lot of people who I know that love this are actually not Christians, it's because the music is that good. Yeah, our friend Danny, who's Jewish, is a huge fan. Yeah. And I've had many a spirited discussion slash full-on argument <laughs> about whether Murray Head or Carl Anderson is better Judas. Yep. I'm a Carl Anderson kid all the way. But then Murray Head is Danny's guy. So. Right. You know, and it is, I think, because he listened to the album a ton. And I really never listened to it. And I do think that's probably because... I'm from the Bible Belt, you yeah. know, and I think people down there weren't huge fans of this movie. Okay. I mean, I know my mom wasn't, um, so she really didn't like it. Um, and I do think that's because it removes a lot of the divinity from Jesus. Yes. Like, it, it really treats Jesus as a guy, you know, and I think that is because it's from Judas's perspective. Right. And, you know, the whole first song, which to me is kind of like the best song in the whole thing. It's an amazing song. Heaven on Their Minds is phenomenal. And his version, the Carl Anderson version. He kills it. His voice is unbelievable. Yeah. 
And yeah, that's another reason for me, because I think Carl Anderson's uh, Heaven on Their Minds is better to me than Murray Heads. It feels more, I don't know, there's more gut in it. It has a lot more feeling to me. And uh, I think that he lays out his thoughts there, and that's kind of the perspective that the entire movie is from, which is more of a human, worldly kind of perspective. Mm -hmm. He's kind of mad that people are all talking about the divine stuff. Mm -hmm. He's like, does Jesus really believe this God stuff? And he doesn't. He's more concerned about trying to do good in the world. And that's where he gets in trouble here. What I found this time when we watched it is a completely different perspective on the movie, the show, you know, the concept album. It's, yes, it is from Judas's perspective that we're seeing this. And there's just so much to unpack. It's hard for me to, like, lay it all out there logically, but I'm going to try. Okay. Jesus is treated as a rock star. He's a man that has fame. He has all of these groupies. You know, he can, it seems that he can do no wrong. Everywhere he goes, it's a party. You know, it's the place to be. And Judas feels like his best friend that's known him since he was a kid, and they came up in this together. And Jesus is like your lead singer, and why not even say also your lead guitarist? You know, this is like this virtuoso guy. He's you know, the star of the band. Absolutely. He's even broken off, done some solo work. He's guested <laughs> with other heavy musicians, okay? And let's say you are the drummer, you know, and you do a good job, and you just feel like man, we came up together, we came up with all these songs together, and Jesus is the one that's getting all the attention. You know, what is the deal? Why am I chopped liver? You know, and then I'm sure it's like you go through this thought of, oh, I worked on that song with him. I helped him figure out how to write lyrics, you know? And so it's like, there, there's a lot of... uh jealousy of, yes yeah. a jealousy of the, of the fame and i also really zeroed in on um okay this is costume related so carl anderson i love the outfits they put it's in it's awesome yeah and his outfits which make it even extra awesome for me uh look like jimmy hendrix outfits like, uh, I would say his main outfit for the piece looks like what Jimi Hendrix wore at the Isle of Wight. It, it's similar to that. The red. Yes. Yeah. And then when he comes back at the end for Superstar, he's got the white fringe going on, which looks like what Jimi Hendrix wore at Woodstock. Yeah, it's very similar. Like, John whipped out the photos to show me when we were watching it this time. I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean... It had to be inspired by that. I feel like it did. I mean, this this came out around the same time, just a little bit after, I guess, that Jimi Hendrix was popular. Yeah. I mean, this movie was released in 1973. And so I'm going to get really weird in this talk in a second. I'm sorry if I'm just like giving a TED talk here, <laughs> but it's just like I've been I was spinning around a lot of this stuff. 
So the other thing with Judas's outfit and Superstar, so he's got the white fringe, which looks like Jimi Hendrix at Woodstock, but he's also got this big, shiny belt buckle, which actually made me think about Elvis, who also was a jumpsuit man. White jumpsuit, yeah. Okay, so he comes back, you know what I mean? And it's like he's more powerful than before. And the song Superstar is a really interesting tune because it comes right before the crucifixion. At this point, you know, emotionally, we've been back and forth. We're on a really rocky ride at this point. And so we go from the lashes straight to this number. Which is very jaunty. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, he still got the same attitude, and I'm talking about Judas, that he has in heaven on our minds because he's still criticizing Jesus. Yeah. And he's wearing this white and you can project a lot of colors on that. And you kind of see like some red at some point. So I'm not sure what what they were going for thematically there, but it it felt like <laughs> you know, like Obi-Wan Kenobi, he came back, you know, stronger than ever in death. <laughs> And I'm like, well, what what is that to say? Anyway, that that's what I get. I, I feel like there's really like a battle here with his with his jealousy. And also with Jesus, it seems to be effortless. He wears plain clothes. Mm-hmm. You know, he just has this regular tunic. Yeah. And Mary Magdalene loves him. I picked up Judas, I think, has a thing for Mary Magdalene. See, I don't. Ooh, I, I don't. Okay, I think, okay. I think Judas almost has a thing for jesus you know what that could be I it. Mean, that could be and it. he thinks that mary magdalene is a total yoko okay okay this I is think good he feels like she's coming in no offense to yoko oh no i don't have a problem with her but i'm just saying it in the <laughs> sense of you know people who just are like oh yoko broke up the beatles which is total bs but like the fact is, he's, like, looking at her and feeling like she has taken his place. Okay. And it's funny that, you know, you're talking about him being jealous of Jesus for the fame, but I don't actually see that. What okay. I see is that he thought that Jesus and him were on this team. Okay. He thought they were, like, united in, like, purpose and that they were both working toward the same things. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, Jesus starts talking about being the Messiah. Okay. Okay. And starts bringing in all this divinity kind of piece, which we don't see too much in this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's in the song Heaven on Our Minds. And he's saying at the beginning that these people have heaven on their minds. And that's why all these people are following him. And he's mad because he feels like their job was... To help the poor, to fight against the Romans, you know, to, like, do all these things. Um, It's actually, like, a political kind of a thing with him, I feel like. And it's really funny to me because I thought so much this time about how so many people use Jesus as a political tool improperly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? And Jesus is, you know, the Jesus that a lot of people use as a tool in politics is not the Jesus that you read about if you read the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, But we got the same kind of thing here. We have Judas 
trying to project what he sees as most important onto Jesus. Okay. Whereas Jesus kind of has a whole nother show going right now. Because Jesus knows what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. He knows what he has to do at this point. When this movie's, you know, going, he knows where he's headed. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, isn't really in the business of trying to do what Judas thought they were trying to do. So it's almost like when you're, I don't want to say like idolizing someone, but it's kind of like that. Like you admire someone. And he says that, my admiration for you. Hasn't died. Hasn't died. He admires this person very much. Okay. He wishes, you know, that he could do the things that Jesus can do and he can't. Yeah. But he is still trying to push for Jesus to do what he wants to do. And that is a theme throughout this movie. Every person wants something from Jesus. Everyone. Except for Mary Magdalene. Hmm. Um, Everyone wants something from him. Judas wants him to be like this fighter for the people. Right? Yeah. And helping the poor and doing good deeds and doing good works. And he thought that's what they were in the business of. And now that Jesus is kind of like not focused on that, he's mad. Then you have uh, Simon Zealots, who basically says, you know, you have power, use it to like overthrow the government and then you'll really have power, you know? Yeah. They want to use him for that. The lepers want to be healed. Mm -hmm. These people, like the first time you really see you know, Jesus talking or singing in this is when we're in this cave right after having on their minds and everybody's like, what's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. Like, they're all like, come on, Jesus, what are we doing next? Yeah. And they're just like asking him what to do. I felt like Jesus kind of was like, need to be left alone for a minute a couple times. <laughs> and that's, sure. Like, because there were just too many people who were just bugging him to do this, that, and the other. And, you know, even though in the Bible, you know, Jesus was, like, healing people and doing all these things, people are kind of treating it like a magic trick. Yeah. To the point where then you get to Herod, who literally is saying, do one of your magic tricks for me, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, that's exactly you know? it. Yeah. He's like, if you're so great, then turn this water into wine. You know, do all these things. Walk over, you know, across my swimming pool, right? Yeah. So he's saying that. And then, you know, even Pilate wants him to give him the answers, you know? Yeah. So it's just like every single person in this wants to put their kind of framework on what they want Jesus to do. And it's like, you know, Jesus knows what he has to do. And he doesn't even want to do it. Like <laughs> the Gethsemane song, which is phenomenal. Yeah. You know, in this, especially Ted Neely is amazing. His voice is so powerful. Yes. Um, and he, you know, has so much passion when he's singing the song about taking the cup away from my lips, you know. And it's like he's looking for answers from God and he kind of doesn't get anything in this. Like he doesn't get an answer. Like you know, no booming voice from the sky that says everything's going to be okay. I mean, it's it's an interesting take on the story because I think that what you were saying is super on the nose 
that they're kind of telling a story about this kind of rock star person and they've just taken that kind of classic tale and put it onto Jesus and the story of Jesus. Yes, and they've also done something else as well. I mean, we're taking a look at, you know, 1973. A lot of prominent religious and political figures were assassinated around that time. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, so I feel that what we've got here is this this cauldron of all of these elements just just like fused together and it makes it very strong in terms of, of its statement and its expression. But for me, it's just like trying to unpack the individual sections is very difficult. You're absolutely right, because it is a lot piled onto one thing. Yeah. I think at the simplest, it is a story about Jesus as rock star or famous person or whatever yeah where people are just asking him for things all the time and they just worship him and you know a non-religious uh, sense the way that people worship a celebrity yes you know? so i think that there's a definite part like that but i also think that there are all these other things on top of it i fully agree i mean your explanation was phenomenal by the way I was like, wow, okay, you've really, you've really uncovered a lot, you know, and maybe everyone else knows this, but I, I didn't, you know what I mean? This wasn't something I was... I don't know, I didn't to. even think about it in these terms before we watched it today. I think that before when I've watched this, I kind of just looked at it as the story of like the passion of Jesus, because I, we do go to church, like we're in the middle of it right now for sure, we, right. <laughs> we sing in the choir, so we have like... So many services. Easter weekend is like one of the big, big kind of points of the church year. Mm -hmm. um, and this is something that has I've been dealing with since I was a little kid. My dad was a minister. So Easter was always a huge deal. Um, when you were growing up, you were Catholic. Right. And your family really loved Easter. Like you guys did a lot of fun Easter activities yeah. at home, you know. Yeah. So Easter's always been kind of a big deal for both of our families, I think. And... Uh, I think that, you know, when I watched this, I just thought about it as that story, but I didn't really analyze it very much. Mm -hmm. But I really did go in, like, this time with a real critical thought about it. Because we also just, it's Good Friday when we're watching it and recording today. Mm -hmm. And we sang The Passion at church earlier today. Yeah. So, like, we've been through this story multiple times in the same day. Mm -hmm. And it does make me think, you know, we looked at it earlier from the church point of view. And now we're looking at it from this film point of view um, at the same story. And just what's different about it? What did they keep? What did they change? Why? Because it is a very um, faithful, to some extent, adaptation of the actual Bible. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I can tell that they, I was actually noticing that they took words from the Gospels to make the songs this time. You know, they were saying, because during the palms part where they're singing Hosanna uh -huh. and waving the palms around, on Palm Sunday in church, we heard, you know, Jesus say that if uh, the people stopped shouting, that the stones would shout. And that's like in the song. Mm hmm so I can tell that they these guys knew what they were doing when yeah. they were writing it. Yeah. Um, so any changes that they would have made or adaptations or adjustments would have been on purpose. 
I guess is a really long way to explain what I'm <laughs> saying. You know, like the faithful uh, adaptation of how they all rode in on a bus at the beginning. <laughs> I love <laughs> the bus ride is so good. Like, yeah, I love that they actually show them setting up the show. Um, when I was in the show a million years ago, it was like summer theater. I got to play Caiaphas, and it was like pretty amazing. Because one of the things I really love about the show are the beautiful hats that the high priests wear. Yeah, the high priest hats are (laughs) amazing. And they made us hats similar (laughs) to the movie. That's great. And the actor that played Annis and I were just so thrilled about these hats. And my hat played an integral part to the opening. So just like you see the bus and them unpacking everything... What happened in the production I was in is everyone came on stage a piece at a time and they'd get, you know, themselves ready or set up set pieces. And it was super cool because it happened like you could just see the silhouettes of the people. You couldn't really see them. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it almost like mimics Sunrise. And like the last like music cue was I came out to the center of the stage and I put the hat on. That's really neat. Yeah. yeah. I I felt like a rock and roll star. I was like, what? Yeah. I mean, that was, so that was my big moment. So that's, that's what I like about it. I like that it's aware of itself yeah. and it's not afraid to have fun. Well, it's very much like a film play. It has that play feeling, you know, where, you know, this troop shows up and just impromptu, they just decide to do a show. <laughs> they just ripped this one out. Yeah. They just... <laughs> <laughs> they just were like messing around with a couple sketches, you know. They're yeah. like, "Oh, let's put these together. I'll put some tunes in it. It's super easy." No, 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 no. <laughs> but you know, it just—that's the kind of feeling they're trying to make you feel like it's this traveling theater troupe is like doing a show. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. And these people are all like super like hippy dippy, mm-hmm. and it's funny because. You know, that was kind of the thing at the time. Like, I mean, you would have seen people like this around. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was like this iconic hippie thing. And they really made Jesus, like, super hippie-ish. He felt very country star to me. Yeah. And and that's something I think he actually did country. Probably, in yeah. In his career at one point, I mean, yeah. Ted Neely kind of made a whole life out of playing Jesus. Well, that's because yeah. we saw him in in Boston, I think, somewhere doing the show, and he's, you know, much much older now. Yeah, but he still has the voice. Sure does. And you know, I think we mentioned this at the end of our show last week, mm-hmm. but we had gone to see this at the theater here, and it was a sing along, which was exciting because we're always singing in our living room when we're watching this anyway. You can't help it. Or singing when we're warming up for the podcast. Yeah, you know, we just <laughs> these tunes are pretty catchy. So, yeah, we, we went to see the sing-along, and Ted Neely and Yvonne Elliman were actually there, which was great. It was really cool. They did, like, a Q&A. Yeah. But then they stayed, or at least Ted Neely stayed. No, she stayed as well. Yeah. She was down, I think, in, like, the front row of our section. Okay. So, Ted Neely, on the other hand, was up in the back row, like, four seats away from me, with no one <laughs> in between us. That's so wild. And I'm sitting here, like, trying to sing along. <laughs> I'm like, what if Ted Neely is judging me? <laughs> you know? 
I would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> it was funny. Because that's just what I was just like, oh my god. What if Ted Neely thinks I'm a terrible singer? Uh, <laughs> like, come on. It was hilarious. Ted never would have thought that, but that story's hilarious. Yeah, well, we say only God judges me. Now, you know. <laughs> Does this count? Is it a loophole? Does Ted Neely get to judge me? It's like American Idol. <laughs> yeah. That's... <laughs> Who would be the other panelists? Would it just be God? Or would we have... <laughs> who else is that high up? Only God. Well, I guess it could be the Trinity, because it's three and one. Okay, all right. Boy, we're really uh, just feeling out the blasphemy a little bit. <laughs> I think this I think this might be a piece that we... Sh- sh- you know what I mean? I think no, this no, sleeps no. with the fishes. <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't know. Well, but I mean, this show, I mean, that's something. A lot of people do feel that it is blasphemous so uh you know there are folks that just don't enjoy it and like i understand you know you you have your conviction good you you know i think it's awesome it's just like for me i view it more as well i i kind of view it as uh, a performance you know so i don't find any of my you know beliefs threatened correct yeah you know like i watched last temptation of christ you know like i can go different ways with the character well yeah and i was gonna say like if you've seen last temptation of christ and this kind of feels a little light you know with what they're actually going for um even though it kind of treads some of the same ground i guess a little bit but i think also we live in a later time you know, when this first came out, there were probably a lot of people who kind of hadn't been exposed to any of the ideas that we're kind of talking about, like about Mary Magdalene possibly being Jesus's wife, you know? Right. Like that's the whole point of the Da Vinci Code. It's like the whole point of, you know, all of this kind of literature surrounding that that became very popular when that book became popular. It's like a hot topic. Well, it was. And everybody's got a hot take. <laughs> I worked at Barnes & Noble when the Da Vinci Code was, like, flying off the shelves. Okay, okay. And so I had to put up all these displays about, like, other literature that was, you know, similar to that. Right. Um, so I just I have a lot of memories of the Da Vinci Code. Not good ones, because I was in retail. It, you know, I think that we live in a world where people have explored that, so it's not, like, super shocking. But I think at the time it was probably pretty shocking to well, think that Mary Magdalene and Jesus could have had a relationship. Yeah. I mean, well, because I was thinking about Godspell. That was our other, you know, like religious rock opera of the time. Yeah. And I don't remember in the production that, that I've seen that they had that kind of intimate relationship. Um, I do remember in the big song in Godspell... Uh, turn back, oh man, Mary Magdalene, I think maybe says, uh, I, I think there might be a come on mm-hmm. to Jesus in it. Mm. But I don't remember them being together. Yeah. And this, yeah, there was no yeah. question. I mean, there, yeah, I felt like that was pretty clear. I mean, in Last Temptation of Christ, it's like, I mean, that's kind of the whole movie thing with that yeah. one. But yeah, so I hadn't seen that at the time that I saw this, I don't think. And I was watching it with my mom, who at the time, I'm not sure how she feels about it now, but at the time, she really didn't like it. Mm-hmm. She felt like it was kind of 
blasphemous and she didn't like a lot of the things that were happening in it. And I don't think I knew anybody who had really seen this a lot when I was a kid. And I think it's probably because, you know, of the type of religion that was practiced around my homeland down there. Makes sense. I, I mean, it was something up here that was really embraced for the creativity. And it also felt that it could be anywhere. You know, there mm -hmm. wasn't like an age restriction on this. So kids could like it. Older people liked it. It was popular. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I'd say it was it was very popular. Like I say, in my friend group, always we could have it on. And whenever we picked it up, we would go as far as we could, you know, if we were in the car, or we would just finish it. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, no, totally different, totally different for me. I just think that people couldn't really view it, like you were saying, as just a version of a story. Well, they have, I mean, the Apostles at the Last Supper, right? Oh, gosh. I mean, that's one of the parts uh, that I think is the most ridiculous right. of the movie. That scene, I'm just like, what are we saying about the Apostles? They're fame whores. That's yeah. all we're seeing. Yeah, they're you know? like hangers on. Yeah. And it's funny because, again, I don't know if this is because we're watching this movie from Judas's perspective mm -hmm. or... You know, because, I don't know, we're supposed to see that the apostles are layabouts, but they were just shown as being completely lazy, yeah. and there's nothing good about them at all. And, you know, I would argue that usually the point with the apostles is that they're like Jesus's, like, team, yeah. you know, and when he gets in trouble, they're going to get in trouble too, because why else would Peter deny him, you know? So, but if we're seeing it from Judas's perspective, then maybe he thinks he's the only apostle that knows what's going on, is working hard, and all the other guys, all the 11 other guys, are just bombs. So maybe that's why. It's kind of like, if you think about it, you know, the apostles, it's kind of like an inspiration for Point Break. <laughs> oh, gosh. Because you take a look at Peter, right? He's got that righteous beard and that amazing golden mane. I mean, if you're trying to say that Peter kind of looks like Bodie. Right. Then I guess I could go with you on that because he is, you know. But everyone in this movie could be Bodie, I well, feel. that's the thing. It feels like one of their, like, beach parties, you know. <laughs> it just feels super loose. And, like, everybody there is like really down to like tap a keg you know like that's that's the like the vibe you get it's just like this is your good time crew this is your party squad you know that's that's the image <laughs> yeah i mean it's hilarious right if you could sit back and laugh at it but you know if, if it's you know hurting you then yeah it kills the whole thing you can't yeah. do it well you were saying i think before that your dad hated the apostles <laughs> yeah, my dad was like you know he's like what what's that what's that still all talk about us when we died what is that you know he was just he was totally not down <laughs> for it deal with no yeah my mom's big problem i think was the temple scene oh yeah where jesus just like tears up the whole place he's super mad you know, I think she maybe felt like it was missing something because of the lack of divinity and, like, the lack of a righteous indignation. Okay. Because I do feel like I don't really see that so much. Like, I know he's yelling at the end that 
you know, it, it, they should be praying there instead of whatever they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we could spend the whole podcast just really breaking down the activities that are going on at the temple. I feel like Jesus is just like super pissed that there was no vinyl there. <laughs> no. And he's like, you're done, bro. You no. know what I mean? And then like, everybody's <laughs> like, yeah, you know, no, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the temple is crazy. I mean, you know, the, the guys that the gang up on uh, one of the people with all the drugs, like this huge oh, yeah. bag of grass. I like that we both were like thinking that one of them looks like a young Dwight Yoakam. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that... Like, literally, both of us are like, it looks like Dwight Yoakam. <laughs> I was so distracted with the Dwight Yoakamness <laughs> that I was like, can we please rewind that? Because yeah, I couldn't process. We were like, wait, was he selling drugs? We don't know, because we were, like, blown away by the yoakam quality. And we still don't know what he was selling. We're, we're thinking maybe it's like he had like the cocaine. The tiniest little packet of cocaine. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, it, it, could it be maybe. acid in the thing? I don't know. And then it looked like he, had, he had a little, little spoon. Yeah, you, you eagle-eyed that. I didn't see it. It just looks so tiny. Like I could see just. <laughs> it looked like a hairpin or something. I didn't know yes. what it was. I saw that too. And I was like, whoa, I really don't know <laughs> don't what know we're what fucking was. with here. <laughs> oh God. It is secular, anyway. as we no, mentioned. No. This, is, this is a secular episode. So things that are getting laid down. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah, we're going to mark it explicit. Yeah, we will. And everybody can figure out what that means. <laughs> they can understand. We're going to talk about the temple. Yes. What else did you like at the temple? I mean, I don't know what I didn't really like at it, because I just love it that they were, like, selling grenades. Yeah. Yeah. Then they're selling, like, cash registers. I love that. That guy just had one on his shoulder, yeah. A lot of vases. Mm -hmm. Boy, those get broken. The mirrors? The mirrors, yeah. There's wow. just all kind of stuff in there. But Oh, and then there's, like, the prostitute ladies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you got all of it. The fake arm? They're selling, like, what the prosthetic arm at the beginning? Yeah. Never caught that till this time. Okay, it cuts to a very ridiculous person with, like, the doctor's, like, eye thing Okay, on. yeah, that, that reflective. And yeah. he's looking at this, like, prosthetic arm. I've never seen that before. No, I mean, I wonder if they just snuck that in, you know? I don't know what they were thinking, but it was, it was really silly. And I was like, oh my, what is this? And then we cut over to all these different things that are going on in the temple. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's not just like a marketplace. No, I mean, this is like you would buy tickets to see a show here. Yeah, it's a lot is going on there. Yeah, so. you could probably get dinner and a show there. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, they had everything. I, yes, I, they did. I would have been there if it was like, <laughs> you know, I, I'm embarrassed. But if we were living at that time, I would be like, look, I got to go to this temple and I got to see it's, what they got. You would have seen if there was vinyl there. It, yeah. And if, look, if I heard that there was righteous vinyl <laughs> at the temple, you know me. I'd be like, yeah, George, no, I just, just got to sneak in. You yeah. know, I'm just going to get that. Well, I would have really been interested in their cash register prices, you know. That would be good to know. I just was, I, I thought that was the funniest part. Because they're selling like lewd things, yeah, yeah. you know, or violent things. And then there's cash registers. 
it's I love that Jesus picks up like the business end of a rifle and just knocks <laughs> something over with the butt of it. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that it that table was crazy. They have like the submachine gun yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, what are they doing in that weapons booth, man? I think that needs to be shut down. I don't I think, think we there was trying one. to be like an anti-war message to this too, like. We have that crazy scene where right before Judas goes to the Pharisees and he is like running away from all these tanks. Yeah, that was scary. It was scary. That was scary. And I'm like, whoa, you know, what's going on there? And then after he does the betrayal, the planes, like these fighter planes, go across the sky. What I thought about, because I try to justify this in my head, is let's say that the high priests have, you know, their area, you know, and there are people on patrol guarding, like, their their town, yeah. their area. So it's like, you know, it's like uh, a country border crossing, you know? Okay. So it's like you just came over here and, you know, you didn't announce yourself. You don't have documentation. We don't know what's going on with you. <laughs> so we're chasing you. And then the planes... You know, the same thing. They wanted to make sure, you know, he was out and they were clear. Yeah. They were, they were checking it out. It does feel like, like a defense force or something is coming right. after him. But yeah, that was pretty intense. Um, and so I definitely feel like there was like an anti-war message, which makes total sense at the time. Sure. I mean, yeah. there was another message that I saw towards the beginning of the film and this is when, you know, we've had What's the Buzz, and now Mary Magdalene has come over to Jesus. And then Judas doesn't like that she's trying to give him the perfume and the ointments. Yes. And he, you know, is just like, what are you doing? You know, there's kind of a confrontation. We go into everything's all right for a second, I think. Mm -hmm. And... What happens that I thought was super cool is like he reaches out to Jesus and it looks like maybe he's angry at him. And then they end up like touching arms mm -hmm. and then they slide down into this. Into the Predator. Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Carl Weathers, whatever you're going to call this. I, it it's like was, an arm wrestling posture. It's like an arm match. And then they like... And then they, they did do an arm... That, well, in Predator, they do like do an in-the-air arm wrestle. Yeah. And on this, it was like a light kind of like... After they had clenched their hands, they like drew them away yes. slowly. It was awesome. It like, was. That I thought was just super cool. It was like, yeah, there was no anger. It just totally seemed like we're cool and that that was like well it's like he connected good. with him again because that's yeah you know what i was saying earlier like i really feel that i'm not necessarily saying that i think there's like a romantic attraction here between judas and jesus uh-huh i'm saying that you know judas just wants jesus to care about him i mean he even says that he wants Jesus to notice him and care about him. And there's a kind of a thread of that running throughout as well. Yeah, he sings, I don't know how to love him. Yes, he does. That's the last thing he does before he hangs himself. Yeah, and he, huh. his whole thing is that he wants that attention from Jesus. And if he doesn't get it, it makes him mad. He's jealous. It's very hard. It's very hard. 
And there's other people that want attention from Jesus, too. The Simon Zealot song says, like, did you see I waved? Like, it's just like they want to be special. It's Yeah, and and it's like you can't give that much. It's impossible. And it's just like, you know, and if you had somebody... With Judas, I feel that they were best friends. And, I, I mean, you you could tell me otherwise, because you've got some good points. But it's like, I feel like they're, they're best friends. And when you and your best friend always hang out, and then all of a sudden your best friend is like, yeah, I've got all this other stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you just kind of feel and like... And you feel like you're not important anymore. Yeah. And then there's this woman, too, and you're like, you know, he's turning the attention to that as being the problem. And then, yes, what you were saying, like, right, what happens before that scene is that he's mad that she's anointing Jesus with oil because he's saying that they could use that expensive oil to help the poor and things like that. And, you know, it's interesting because that may have been like a story that Jesus could have told, you know what I mean? It's yeah. because he has a lot of stories about helping people, mm-hmm. and that's where I came up with kind of my thoughts here. Because it's like, you know, that's what Judas is still devoted to and feels like they should be doing. And even when he goes to Caiaphas and they give him the silver, mm-hmm. they tell him, Give it to charity, yeah, help the poor, yeah. And we know that that is something that is apparently important to Judas. So, you know, I think that they're threading that kind of stuff throughout. Yeah. To show that in this story, it's from Judas's perspective. And Judas doesn't feel like necessarily the bad guy. Mm-hmm. He feels like the guy who had to fulfill his part in the whole thing. And if that was to turn in Jesus, then that's what he did. Right. And I think it further cements that we're supposed to kind of not even need to feel the need to forgive Judas. That when he just comes back to sing that song at the end, yes, he's still kind of criticizing him. But what do we make of the fact that he's basically like coming back like an angel? Right. You know, because he's got these backup dancers who have wings like, they could be an angel, possibly a chicken, one or the other. <laughs> well, again, like, I felt like with the lights, you know, we saw them in red, you know, just because that was the, the light that we saw. And I wondered if they were trying to send a message with that. But they use so many colors, I'm not sure. But I think you're right. I think that what what we're to get out of this is that Judas fulfilled his purpose. Yeah. And and that it makes him totally cool. And it also shows that he hasn't really changed, too, because he's still, you know, trying yeah. to say, well, Jesus, you know. I had we, my uh, reasons. Yeah, like, right. It's I like, was justified in what I did. It, it's I, I think this is this is a good point because I've always questioned it, honestly, you know, and that was in, you know, Last Temptation of Christ. That was Judas's thing, is that when Jesus decided to go off the cross and live his own life, Judas was not able to fulfill his destiny and he did not want to fulfill that destiny. Yeah. Because he he really was, you know, that close. Well, it's interesting because this movie has a lot of destiny in it. Mm-hmm. Like the whole you got so many things is Jesus confronting and wrestling with his destiny. Yeah. And, you know, knowing that he has to do this but not wanting to do it. 
in this, I think maybe something that probably makes people a little bit uncomfortable. It's like he's basically saying that he doesn't want to die because he doesn't know if, you know, people are going to remember him. That, that That's the one of the parts in this that really does stick out. Yeah, it does to me it, too. It really sticks out because you feel that it's genuine. And then we throw in an odd line like that, which completely undercuts the character. Yeah. Undercuts, you know, the the importance of the entire journey. Because it's just, what? It kind of feeds back in to Judas, you know, trying to figure out why Jesus is doing what he's doing. And yeah. thinking that it's just to get more famous because he just wants to be more and more famous or something. No, that look, that completely makes sense. I don't know. Maybe again, we're supposed to be looking from J- Judas's kind of point of view mm-hmm. across the entire story, even in things he's not involved in. It's something I'm going to loop back to that you said earlier, because you talked about everyone wanted something from Jesus. And I've talked to, you know, people that are very wealthy and... You know, we just kind of had a very open discussion. And I I actually was like, well, what's it like, you know, being rich? And it's like, it sucks because everyone is always asking you for something. Mm. So I feel like not, I, I mean, you know, fame and fortune do go hand in hand a lot. But I'm also feeling like that's from you know, a a financial perspective, too. I mean, I don't recall in this anyone ever asking him for money, but with all the requests that he gets, I mean, who knows? I'm sure it's in there. I mean, even if it's not, it doesn't have to be. Either people are asking him to heal him, asking him to, you know, guide them, asking them to lead them, asking him to overthrow the government. Right. Like all these things that they're asking him to do, and it's overwhelming. Just, yeah, it, it can't, yeah, it, it can't happen. I mean, we also haven't really yet talked about Pilot. What who, a great character. An amazing character. What a great actor, Barry Denon. He's fantastic in this. And he did the concept album also. Yes, and he was in The Shining, and he was in Fiddler on the Roof, <laughs> and uh, he's awesome. Yeah, you know what I mean? He's great. You should look him up. He was also in Ragtime. His credits just extend into everything that you love. Yeah, I mean, he he was super great in this. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. would say Pilot is kind of a difficult part because he, you know, first of all, he's, like, dressing when they're getting off the bus. Right. And, like, these crazy outfits and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when we first see him, his first thing that he's talking about is that he's had, like, a vision or a dream. Right. That, you know, basically about what's going to happen with Jesus. Pilot's dream, yeah. An and, amazing number. Yeah, it's very good. And he's very scared because he has, like, this fear of this happening. And then right. it does happen. And what happens is that he's kind of given this task to do that he doesn't want to do but he kind of feels forced to do yeah and that's why he ends up going along with it so i feel like we're kind of looking at pilot is not much to blame no either that's that's really what they go out of their way to show you is that he didn't want to do this yeah he knew that there was trouble coming but it's like ah this is just a dream then your dream literally comes true, 
and you do everything that you can to save this person's life. Yeah. And they're they're not interested, and you're giving everything you can. You've done everything, and they just keep fighting you, and you finally say, that's it. Yeah. You know, and, and it's like he's not taking the blame for this because he did everything that he could to help him. It's, yeah, it that character... So well played. So yeah. well played. I mean, the performance, you can feel the feelings that are coming out of him. Like, he is so conflicted. Yeah, he is. And he plays it so well. Oh. And yeah, it's just, it's a really stellar performance. Really strong. Yeah. And interesting. Like, I mean, when we hear the Passion Church or we read the story in the Bible, um, I don't think that I thought of Pilate... And even though this kind of follows along with it, like we said, these dudes know their source material when they're writing these songs. Sure. You know, Pilot does have these questions and kind of seems to be trying to find a way out of it. But it feels to me like everybody in this is kind of trying to wash their hands of being responsible for the decision. Like, you know, Caiaphas and the Pharisees are like, well, we know we can't kill him. We can't order him to be killed. Yeah, if you could just take care of this. If you could just do it for us, I would it'd appreciate be it. a good solid, you yeah. know, thanks. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, he doesn't, Pilate doesn't want to do it. So mm. then he sends him to Herod. Right. And we have this Herod number, which is always like a huge highlight of the show. Um, where, you know, it's totally different mood, you know, wild people in costumes. And in this part, it's a set. They're like on the Dead Sea, I guess. That's what I'm guessing as well. And it's amazing looking. The canopy over yeah. them? Yeah. Oh, man. That's, yeah. And, and you get just a really great performance from Josh Mostel as Herod. Yeah. And... This is, like, I think a good point to talk about one of the major differences between the film and the concept album. For me, when I listen to the concept album, I can see all of it in my head. I can shut my eyes and I can see it. Mm -hmm. And I, I know what it is. And it's an all-encompassing experience. So when I go to watch the movie, okay, I'm getting all this music and I'm getting this amazing scenery. Yeah. And these actors that are so expressive. Yeah. You know, so there's so got... many good dancers. Oh my in gosh. This movie. Yes. Sorry yes. to interrupt no, you. No, that's a good point. I might have jumped in on your train of thought, but the dancing in this is great in that scene and in the Simon Zealot scene. It's unbelievable. Uh, look, when you see those people all moving together yeah. and you think about the fact that they were in this very, very hot air yeah it was it was like 105 degrees oh. during that scene he, there's a trivia piece that i read that said that the guy who played simon zealots was shaking because he was about to pass out because he oh was like God. doing all this super energetic dancing in 105 degree heat yeah and that is such an energetic number yes i mean and the people are crazy good they're super physical everybody's really strong they're like whipping their arms and legs around like crazy. It's really cool. They leave nothing on the table. Mm -mm. No. Nothing. And that's, and I mean, that for me is, is really good. Yeah. But back to the Herod thing. Herod, you got the it. The dancers in that are kind of, are great too. And they're doing like weird stuff. <laughs> Look, the, it, it's so uh, small. 
which is what's so interesting about their dance. I mean, Herod goes for the bigger moves. Do they mimic that, or do they stay with the smaller, you know, because they do, like, the pointing, and they, you know what I mean? It's smaller. Yeah. Well, I think because it was tighter. Yeah. You know, it was tighter on them, the camera. Yeah. Well, yeah, because they were on, like, that platform. Yeah. Okay. So it's not like they were on, like, because they, yeah, they were on a platform in the water, so you couldn't really, like, go further away. Right. Or do really weirdly different camera angles, I think. No, that makes sense. Because, yeah, we have basically one that, that's straight on. And then we have, like, a wide that's from the right side. Yeah. And that's a very wide shot. Yeah, okay. Yeah, where you see the water and all. And then they have one that's from the other side that's almost like a perpendicular okay. shot. Where you kind of see the whole float that he's sitting on and everything. It kind of reminds you of Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> on his barge i see that yeah right of course it's i i mean and, and this is like awesome because i always wanted to play king herod and i always liked job of the hut when i was younger and then you know because he hung out with salacious crumb and they were buddies and you know i called my dad jabba and then i'd be like salacious crumb I'd kind of sit with him on the couch would chill and watch tv <laughs> And then, you know, I, I realized that, like, Jabba the Hutt is a horrible, <laughs> a bad guy. horrible person uh, or thing, so whatever you want to call him. Anyways, my point here is... He's a hut. He's a hut. And all these things that, that I've liked at some point, you know, are just, they're connected. And this is just another example of That's that. It's really funny. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was funny the way that they have him portrayed as kind of just like... A gleeful kind of playboy type. Yeah, that, yeah that's you it. You know, and he's really just looking to get a laugh however he can get it. It feels like he really walked into a very exclusive party. Yeah. With the top people. It's, well, and, and it's like, perform for us. Yeah. And that's, and that's it. Yeah, that is like literally it. Yeah. They're like, oh, you're so special. Let's see it. Like... <laughs> A hard audience to impress. Yeah, it's just like, before we, like, fully accept you into the group, we want to know what's great about you. It's like doing improv in front of a lot of other improv teams. <laughs> the lack of support is staggering. Oh, man, that's so funny. It's so good. I can say that. You that's can, so good. So I will. <laughs> <laughs> that look, that's, I mean, that's really, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. It's but yeah, so it's it's just like we have our different experiences, like the Gethsemane, you know, with Ted Neely, and yeah. he's up, you know, on the top of that mountain. It looks like he's like climbing a mountain while singing that song. Wow, yeah. I mean, I can't do either one of those things, <laughs> much well, less both at the same time. Well, I imagine that the performance, and I could be wrong here. I imagine the performance was all done in the studio, probably. But I mean, even still, he's still singing while he's. Climbing. Yeah, it looks like he's really emoting, and especially when he hits those insane high notes oh, yeah. at the end of Gethsemane. Yeah, that you just it brings tears to my eyes every time. I'm like, wow, this guy really laid everything yeah. down. I mean, he is just yelling out these notes, and it's it's crazy high. Yeah. Like, like the high note that he hits when he's just like. It's it's wild. Yeah, and he's like screaming and singing, you know, at the like top the rock of the mountain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's true. That's why it is cool that they have like a guy with a really great like rock voice 
singing the songs because it is like a superstar. And you could see like all the veins coming out of his neck (laughs) and it turning red. Like you can really tell that he's going for it. So yeah, I think he was, I think he was. Like Eddie Vedder in the Jeremy video. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Jeremy Spokane. I I always thought it was Jeremy Spokane for (laughs) a little bit. It sounds like that. Yeah. And then I was like, oh. There have been like rock star people who have done this show too. Like, I think uh, Sebastian Bach did it. Okay. And he played Jesus. Gary Sharone. No kidding. Did it for a few years, I guess. Wow. So, you know, some singers from big, you know, bands have done it. Well, it's just so appealing. When I was in the show and it was just community theater, people offered to just come and do it for free. Like, musicians just showed up and were like, I heard you were doing the show. I just want to play. Wow, that's really cool. That's how much people want to celebrate with this. It's and that's what I'd say about this musical is it really is a celebration in the production I was in, and I think it's fairly common. They do something to suggest that Jesus has resurrected, so he won. And if the good guy won in the end, it it works out. The resurrection after the crucifixion is the final beat of the piece and that puts jesus out on top yeah if you go that way yeah i mean i feel like that they were trying to kind of put that out here too Mm -hmm. but in a very subtle way you have like the sun like setting behind the cross right yeah and then you have like the shepherd with the sheep right coming and and actually i read that that was an accident no kidding. They didn't actually mean for the shepherd to walk by with the sheep. Wow. But it was like such a good metaphor for Jesus. Right, like right. He was always called the good shepherd that they left it in because they thought it was really serendipitous. Sure was. Yeah. I love a serendipitous shot. Yeah. We were doing a documentary on a small theater company um, mm-hmm. that our friend Danny had started. And I was just trying to shoot their street sign. And so first I was like shooting into the sky and then I was going to pan over to the street sign. When I did that, the street light above the street sign popped on right as soon as I stopped my pan. And it was amazing. And I couldn't ever have planned it to work out like that. That was so awesome. That every time I looked at the footage, I was just like, you were a champion. (laughs) When I first played it back, I was like screaming because I was so excited. And that's like this kind of shot that they got. It's like this perfect thing that if they tried for it, it wouldn't have looked good. But it does leave you with like that hope that that it was all for a reason. Yeah. Because that's really what the Easter story is, is... Like, you go through the sacrifice and death to, you know, gain salvation for everyone. That's what the divinity part of Easter is about. And, you know, I think that that's why you have this hope at the end. You kind of have to. Because you go through some dark stuff in this, like the lashing scene. Yes. And, of course, Herod is in that scene, like, laughing it up. In the background. Yeah. It's, oof, that That's really harsh when you see that. Yeah, I've, it's a tough scene. It's, it's always. Hard. Yeah. It, well, 
the structure of the piece is very much back and forth. It, it's a real tennis match of emotions because they did add, you know, some new sections, you know. Yeah, we haven't even really talked about that. Some new numbers, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, So I'll talk about the first one. So the song with the high priests, the first song in the film, is Then We Are Decided. And basically we go to the high priest saying we need to take care of business. And it's just Caiaphas and Annas in that scene. Whereas in the next scene, like all the Pharisees are kind of hanging out. Mm -hmm. So I understand why they would cut that number because all the information has gone over again. And this Jesus must die, which is a really, really strong number. It's an excellent part. It's really, really good. It's a really good part that you had to sing as Caiaphas. I was so happy. I was, man, I felt so lucky. I mean, just like everybody else, I wanted to be like Judas. And then part of me wanted to be Herod. And then when I saw Caiaphas, I was like... Wow, Caiaphas. Well, the Caiaphas in this movie is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> He's got, like, this ridiculous, like, chest plate with, like, this, you know, straps on and, like, this cape. Mm-hmm. And the hat the is hat. nuts. Love the hat. It's just, like, a giant, I don't know, tire on his head or something. I, I don't thought... know what this thing looks And then all the other guys have wild hats, too. Yeah. Annis's just looks like a an unpumped version of whatever <laughs> Caiaphas has. That's hilarious. Never thought Yeah, of that. it looks like they just put like a little tube in there and pumped his up with air. That's good. So it's like kind of puffed out. Annis is just kind of collapsed. Yeah. Another guy looks like he's wearing like a half a pirate hat or something. I mean, these people look nuts. I love how punk rock it is. And they <laughs> went so anachronistic with this. Yeah. Oh, with yeah. the outfits. Yeah. You know, the soldiers wearing the, the camo pants. And the purple tank top right. with Pilot's, like, cartoon head. And then they had the silver shiny helmets. Yeah. I, it made me kind of think about gladiators. Yes. I mean, they're the centurions, right? That is correct. So, yeah, I thought it was funny because it almost looked like they had kind of motorcycle helmets on. Oh, that's good. That's it wasn't good. exactly like that, but it was like... More like that than like a Roman centurion helmet. Yeah, I could see that. And then they had tridents. Yeah. And then they had machine guns. Yeah. So, I mean, they were well equipped. Yeah. You know? The yeah, they had well different options. Yeah. With which to murder you. And, and the combat boots, I bet they were really thankful to have those. I On imagine. that terrain, yeah. Yes. Yes. That's a, see, I guess they shot it in Israel, mm-hmm. and it looks like they did. I mean, it looks like what you imagine, you know, this ancient place would look like. It looks like gorgeous, untouched land, even though we see ruins on some of it. It's, it's really wonderful that they were able to find a place that really would be grand enough to deliver this motion picture experience yeah this big story yeah and it feels very authentic you know it evokes the time period really well yeah and i think that it's very interesting because they have all these like caves and stuff right and then they have like these 
like ruins. So like at one point, Pilot is kind of standing on top of that, mm-hmm. so far above everyone else. Yes, that's really interesting. And, and he's scary. wearing <laughs> and, scary. And, scary. and he's wearing purple, which is like the royal color. Um, and it's interesting because he just feels like he is in the boonies and he's governor of some outlying crap heap mm-hmm. and he just has better things to do than deal with any of these people mm-hmm. and that's kind of the feeling you get from pilot pilot yes it makes me think of like the a western where the sheriff just took the job for a paycheck <laughs> like the first sheriff who's a terrible sheriff yeah yep. that's funny that's and the... that's kind of, i mean that's kind of what it is and yeah. he has to do what people want even if he doesn't really want to and that's his whole kind of deal but he doesn't want to be responsible the pharisees don't want to be responsible Herod doesn't want to be responsible judas doesn't want to be responsible yeah and so you know all those things are kind of bubbling up together to see why judas because it's from his point of view Mm -hmm. did the right thing like it's kind of like judas trying to show how he did the right thing everybody else is just denying responsibility Well, here's a question. This is bringing us to another new number in this. Could we start again, please? Do you feel that could we start again, please, is still from Judas's perspective? I don't. And maybe that's why, unlike most people, apparently, I don't really like it that much. Mm -hmm. I feel like the song is kind of out of place. I feel like it is kind of, a little unserious in light of what's happening in the movie at the time. Yeah. I feel like we're on a track and it gets us off that track because we're kind of on the track at that point Mm -hmm. of Jesus kind of being passed around to these different people so they can try to get him killed. And we just kind of have a hold up moment where we sing this. Could we start again, please? And it just feels kind of awkward to me. It feels unserious it's like oh could we start again jesus is about to get killed like i feel like you know i don't know if it's like they i feel like they're asking him for something again almost oh wow oh wow okay they're like oh can we just do a do-over because <laughs> things kind of got messed up and we don't like it yeah like sorry bro about the death (laughs) i mean but my point is i just don't feel like it has the right gravitas of what's happening in that particular part of the film makes sense and you feel like it's a shift in the pov it is i think it is a shift but also like we you know we do have like these jarring things that happen Mm -hmm. but they feel jarring on purpose right and this feels kind of jarring not on purpose like, you know, the whole the whole Superstar song kind of is a little jarring because it's happening while he's getting crucified. Well, that actually was something that really struck me this time because when it happened on stage and when we've seen it on stage, the Superstar number is just like a joyful number. Mm-hmm. And everyone like stands up and applauds. They love that song. And so we have that joy you know, and then you clap, and then when the number ends, you know, we're back into, you know, the heavy place. Yeah, and that's what I think that is meant to be jarring on purpose, mm-hmm. because you're meant to not be comfortable. Yeah, it's uh, it's something that I, I wondered about, like, 
because I, I don't know. I think I prefer the song without the crucifixion being in it. But you know why? Because it makes me less comfortable. When it, yeah. yeah, it makes, you know, it makes me more comfortable. So, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, this is smart filmmaking because it is, it is this big flashy number that people are going to be happy about. But I think the, the gag is they want to see if people will still be celebrating as we cut to the crucifixion. Well, it's kind of the same effect, I think, that we might have a little bit when we were singing The Passion. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we're then the chorus kind of part. Yeah. And we end up, most of what we end up saying is like the crowd stuff about killing Jesus, crucify him, mm -hmm. don't let him go, we want Barabbas, like all this other stuff. Right. So we're kind of like the bad guys in The Passion. And it kind of does make you feel like, oh gosh, you know, I'm participating in you know, this activity of hurting this person, killing this person. And that ties back in, I bet, to what I talked about with, like, assassinations of religious and political figures. And, you know, like, sitting back and letting this occur. And that is the guilt that they can all have around, you know, even Pilate, you know, okay, so you think you didn't do anything except what you had to. Right. Caiaphas and Annas, they think that they really didn't do anything, so they got somebody else to do it for them. Right. But, you know, they're all guilty of negligence because anybody could have stopped it at any time. And they didn't. They just let it happen. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. It's a, such a well-made film. It's of its time, for sure. Mm -hmm. But it also has a bit of a timeless quality to it. The music, even if the lyrics didn't stand could go on forever the music is really good i agree i agree i still think heaven on their minds is the best thing in the whole show but i think like so many other songs of this like um i don't know how to love him mm. i think became a top 40 hit or something like people just listen to the song because it really stands on its own outside of the movie yeah yeah i mean the it show well, it's all the music is is strong in my opinion, and it's just kind of like, what flavor of ice cream do I want today? You know, <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> yeah, it is all good. And what happens for me with the way I can visualize the concept album, it's like I've seen the movie enough times. I can see the movie in my head, so I know that journey as well. The performances are excellent in both versions to me. You know, like. Okay, Murray Head, you know, that's the first one I heard. Wow, wow, great singer, amazing singer, amazing work. And then it's like Carl Anderson came. Carl Anderson took all of the work of Murray Head, and then like, I don't know, in his song <laughs> laboratory, he like was able to multiply it by six billion, <laughs> you know, because it's like, he is able to fully take it and go to that next level. I feel like he emotes very well. Like, I just feel like you really get what he's saying and singing. Sure. And, you know, again, part of it could be the advantage of seeing him, mm -hmm. you know, and hearing him at the same time. Where if I'm just hearing it and envisioning it myself, it might be a little bit different. Sure. You know, so that could certainly be part of it. I would say that the, the original concept album is more of an easy listen if you're going to go straight through. Mm -hmm. And if you're a person like me, I always go straight through. 
if I go with the film soundtrack, you know, which is also amazing, it's like I am going to get the Gethsemane that, you know, is like the partner in wonderfulness, <laughs> you know, like heaven on their minds, you know, like I say, the Murray head work, and then it's just through the stratosphere. The Ian Gillen work, you know, I feel like Ted Neely takes that and just bunts that into the Milky Way. <laughs> Do you know what I yeah, mean? Well, and a bunt. Is... I like, he's got so much, he's got so much voice. It's, uh, I mean, so yeah. it's like those, those are the two elements because Yvonne Element is the same, you know, you know, Barry Denon, you know, is the, the same, same yeah. still awesome. But also I think it does go back to seeing them again, because I think part of, you know, I mean, Ted Neely's voice is crazy strong. Right regardless of whether you're looking at him or not right but when you are looking at him and he like just throws out that note oh when you see his like neck straining and right. like how much just breath is coming out of his body at that moment it's wild and it makes you feel like so strongly what he's kind of pushing out there and i don't think you have the advantage of that if you're just a voice like, yeah. I can feel it, but seeing, like, how hard he was working even just to get that out. With the Ted Neely Gethsemane, seeing it, I I prefer because you get even more. But listening to it, when he goes, nail me to your cross and break me, the way he does that has so much vulnerability in it so much openness so much sacrifice that whether i see him or not i get it yeah no i do have to agree with you on that like he really sounds like he's near tears he's completely desperate in that moment and it really comes across it's very impressive and then we have you know that just the differences in the soundtracks that come out, because there have been other people over the years. There was one, I believe it was called Jesus Christ Superstar Resurrection. Mm -hmm. And that one had Amy Ray as Jesus. Yes, yep. I didn't see this, but I've heard about that one. And so we also had the Herod song. That's She's from the Indigo Girls, by the way, in case people don't know that. Sorry. Yes. I had tickets to see the Indigo Girls once at the Ben and Jerry Music Festival. And I was going with uh, a buddy and his girlfriend, but then I think they broke up or he couldn't go. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. So here's what's awesome. He gave me back the money for the ticket, which was enough to buy this Jimi Hendrix CD box set called Stages. Oh, wow. So it was four CDs from 67 to 70 of live performances. That's awesome. That and, was like you were in heaven. Yeah. So, like, that worked out the right way. <laughs> so Indigo Girls are cool, but I actually see Indigo Girls as my gateway to really going deep into Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I thought it was interesting they did a show uh, with her. And it, that's super cool. And, and they had the, I'm sorry, they had the, the, the Herod song was a surf song, kind of like David Lee Roth. Oh my gosh, that's really cool. That's yeah. different. I just want to get that up. Please continue. Well, no, I was going to say that they did like one of those live musicals on TV. Right, of right. A yes. couple years ago with John Legend, who mm -hmm. was great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, Sarah Bareilles. I mean, 
everybody in it was really good. Alice Cooper? But I was going to say, Alice Cooper was Herod. Mm-hmm. And I guess Alice Cooper has sung Herod in a lot, you know, in, in at least another show. Like, right. he wasn't in the show, but he sang it, like, taped, maybe, or something. Wow. That would be cool. Alice Cooper would He's another show. preacher's kid, like myself. Wow. <laughs> He's got so much going through his catalog. Oh, man. We saw him at the Greek. He was awesome. For $12. It was, I, I couldn't have paid $12 for anything better than that. No way. No. Great, great show. He is so theatrical. He still does all the stuff he always did. Um, but yeah, Alice Cooper sidebar over. <laughs> <laughs> so one person I think we should devote a little bit more time to before we wrap up is mm-hmm. Yvonne Elliman. Oh, yeah. Who was like really young <laughs> when she did the concept album when she was like 19 or something. 18, 19, 18, 19. Super young. Yeah. And yet, her voice is so, like, knowing in the song she sang, because she sang on the concept album and in the film. And her voice is just awesome to begin with, but she's able to imbue it with, like, just so much feeling and knowing and yearning and longing. It's really good, and I can super see why people would listen to um everything's all right and and i don't know how to love him and things like that out of context because why wouldn't you well she was so good that she used to perform when she was in high school and her band teacher uh said to her that she should go to london and actually try to do this uh as soon as she got out of school he even helped her out because she just started being, like, truant in school. <laughs> and he, like, spoke in her defense, I guess. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. But that that's how much belief there was in her talent. So she was in England. She was performing. And it happened that Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice showed up, and they were interested in her. Yeah. Okay. And that was it. It's crazy. Because she went on, you know, she was with Eric Clapton. She was definitely in the right place at the right time. For sure. Um, but we're lucky for that too because she's just great. I can't really imagine anybody else doing it the way that she did. No. Um, I mean, I've seen other people do it and I've thought they were good, but she kind of really defined it for me. Honestly, I kind of feel like everybody in the movie did. And I know not everybody feels that way, and that's cool. I've, you know, I'm less passionate than I used to be. I'll admit that I think Murray Head is pretty good. <laughs> he is. It's. I think, again, the difference is we would sing along with it. We know every single millisecond of it. Yeah. And yeah. when that's changed, that, like, is upsetting to it, our memory. Like, it imprinted on you. Correct. We yeah. all have, like, something like that sometimes where... Something really makes you think a certain way and you just can't think of it any other way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I see that. I understand. And I saw the movie before I heard the concept album. So I think that's about all we have to say about this movie for now. Yeah, good talk. Good talk. <laughs> we might uh, think some other things up later and throw them up on the, on the blog. Um, but yeah, this is a really good one. I'm really glad we used this to close out our musicals weeks. Well, it's been um, a fun run because I haven't really been around musicals in a long time. And this has been a really great journey. Yeah, it was fun. And I think we really picked something from like different genres every week. 
Um, so that was really cool. And I could definitely see us doing another little short musical series. For sure. Because I can already think of three off the top of my head that I would love to talk about. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, we hope that you've enjoyed that as well. Back to our not really musical movies next week. <laughs> well, if you do want to take a look on YouTube, we do have Comfort Films Podcast at YouTube. And we've got up some clips. We've got up some alternate takes. We've got up some bloopers. So uh would love it if you'd come on by, check it out. And if you dig it, please give us a subscribe. Yeah, definitely. John's been working hard on it. And it's a lot of really fun stuff on there. So do, do check it out. Um, we will see you next time. But until then, as always, stay, stay comfy. comfy.